If you're able to please stand for the reading of God's word. Be in Matthew 10, verses 26 through 42. Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. And what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will? Be the very hairs, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are more valuable than many sparrows. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword, for I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and he who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of the prophet shall receive a prophet's reward, and he who receives a righteous man in the name of righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. Thank you, Bob. Open up your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8. We're working our way through the book of Proverbs, slowly but surely. We're coming up to the end of the introduction. Nine chapters of introduction in the book of Proverbs. Sounds like a preacher. We're coming up to the end of the introduction, and then we will uh, we'll be switching gears. I'll kind of we'll explain this later, too, but we'll be switching gears when we get to chapter 10, 
we'll, we'll do chapter 10, and then after that we'll be switching gears and kind of moving toward a more topical format. That's just kind of what the book of Proverbs actually calls for, the best way to preach the book of Proverbs, is to kind of move into a, instead of being able to go verse by verse, because it covers so many different topics, we'll explain why uh, in the coming weeks as well, uh, so you understand why we're, do, why we're going to be going around it that way, but we'll kind of cover the rest of the book of Proverbs fairly topically after, afterwards. Proverbs chapter 8. Do you remember when you and your spouse like first brought, or, or when you first brought your spouse to your family? Do you remember that moment? I'm sure that for many of you, when you prepared, you go, you go through that time of preparing your family, right? I remember telling my, my family about Charity before they met her. They, they got to meet her uh, a month or two or so before we got engaged. Um, we needed to make sure that they were okay before Owen had asked her to marry me. Not really. Anyway, I would have done it anyway. She's awesome. So, um, But no, I, I, when I talked to my parents, right, I told them all these great things about her. Now, I'm sure that none of you, when you first got, your, got to your parents, I'm sure the first thing you said wasn't, well, they're uh, a convicted felon with a you know, record a mile long. They're uh, pretty terrible. You know, you're going to tell them all sorts of positive things about, about this person that you want to marry, that you're dating or that you want to marry. Um, you told them all these positive qualities because you want your family to love them before they even meet them. Some of you may be still trying to convince your families of that very same truth. When we want someone to like someone, we talk about their positive traits. The same is true for Solomon and his son. In chapters 1 through 7, Solomon has been trying to convince his son to marry wisdom, to have a relationship with wisdom. In chapter 2, Solomon talked about how valuable wisdom is. It's more valuable than silver or hidden treasure. Solomon has also been warning his son about the eternal dangers of following foolishness. The remedy to foolishness, as Solomon has showed, is to have a relationship with wisdom. So, if Solomon is going to catch his son's attention, he will present wisdom as beautifully as possible to bring his son's attention from the, from the allure of foolishness to the infinitely valuable wisdom. This is exactly what Solomon does in chapter 8. We further find out the, what, we, what we have seen all along, that Solomon's wisdom is not merely Solomon's, but is in fact God's own wisdom. Even further in this chapter, we come to a clear, clearer understanding that wisdom is not mere knowledge, but is in fact a person. None other than the Son of God, who in the fullness of time would come to earth as the man Jesus Christ. Solomon wants his son to have a deep relationship with wisdom, even to marry wisdom. So, God is telling us, through Solomon, why we must be in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Not only must we be in a relationship with Jesus, but we should also desire that relationship. This passage will give us five reasons why we should want to be in a relationship with Jesus. Why Jesus is infinitely attractive and valuable, far better than sin and foolishness. 
Let's go ahead and read this passage. Uh, one of the things I just wanted to clarify also in your bulletin, you'll see that the title of the message is Wisdom is Hottest. This is why. What Solomon is doing is he is showing that wisdom is far more attractive than any other, any other pursuit he could have. So going along the whole modest is hottest, I went with wisdom is hottest. It, just trying to be funny, but whatever. I'm not very good at that, apparently. Proverbs chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Let's let the scriptures do some talking. <laughs> Proverbs chapter 8, beginning in verse, verse 1. says, Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates, in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud. To you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. For my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is better than jewels. And all that you may desire cannot compare with her. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence. And I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil are and perverted speech I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and nobles, all who govern justly. I love those who love me. And those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold. And my yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness in the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with his fields, or the first of the dust of the field, when he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limits so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman. And I was daily his, his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise, do not and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors, for whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this passage. Lord, we thank you that you speak for yourself in this chapter. That is, this is not merely Solomon's words, 
But Lord, you speak even here in the first person about who you are and why you are more valuable than anything else in this entire planet. Lord Jesus, we thank you for these truths about you. I pray, Lord, that we would desire to be in relationship with you. Lord, if there is someone here who does not know you as Savior, that they would desire to know you as their Savior. Lord, if there are people here who are believers, but Lord, have not been following you in obedience, have not been following in the way of wisdom, in your way, pray that they would restore their relationship with you today. I pray that they would see and understand why it is so important to restore that relationship. God, I pray for this time. I pray that you would shine through, that you would be magnified, that you would be glorified. I pray this in your name. Amen. We're going to see five truths that this passage brings up on why wisdom is so valuable, why we ought to marry wisdom, why we ought to be in a relationship with wisdom. We've seen throughout the book of Proverbs that, that wisdom is not merely just ideas or thoughts or knowledge alone, but, but knowledge is, or that wisdom is indeed a person with whom we must have a relationship. Now, one thing that we do need to clarify here is that Often Solomon talks about wisdom as a female, woman wisdom, right? Now the reason for that is the Hebrew word chokmah, which is the Hebrew word for wisdom, is a feminine noun. If you know anything about languages, if you've studied languages before, many languages, besides English, have have gender to their nouns. Uh, Spanish is this way, Greek and Hebrew, which the scriptures are written in, are this way as well. So there's gender to the nouns. When a noun has gender, it automatically takes that gender's pronouns. So if it's a if it is a, a masculine noun, it's going to take masculine pronouns. If it is a feminine noun, it will take feminine pronouns. One of the things that's interesting in Scripture also, the Holy Spirit, the word spirit is a neuter noun. In other words, the pronoun that would go along with it would be it which is why sometimes we think of the Holy Spirit as it rather than a person, which he actually is. So we, that, that, that can help, we kind of help us understand what's going on here. Even though the Holy Spirit is talked about in, with a neuter noun, it does not mean the Holy Spirit is an it. He is in fact a he, he is a person. Same here with wisdom. It is a feminine noun which takes feminine pronouns. Therefore, wisdom is often described as a she. Also, we've seen that Solomon is appealing to his son. What better way to appeal to a son than to say, here is a beautiful woman. Go after her, right? So he presents uh, wisdom in a way that is alluring to his son. But the New Testament will actually reveal in 1 Corinthians 1, verses 24 and uh, 30, which when we read these for you real quick, we've mentioned this several times. Uh, We haven't read it nearly as much. This is what the New Testament says about Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24, it says, But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Now, describing Christ, then, in this, in this passage, it says, He is the wisdom of God. Verse 30 as well says, uh, And because of him you are in Jesus Christ, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. The New Testament reveals to us, clarifies to us who this wisdom is. So although Solomon is using 
feminine pronouns. He talks about woman wisdom. Uh, he is ultimately we are talking about Christ, and that shouldn't count us to be. That shouldn't come across as strange. Rather, it just comes across as what well, we we need to understand this about this passage. In fact, we'll see something that actually hints to that direction here in this passage. We'll get to that later on. First of all, we'll see today the first truth that we learn about why wisdom is valuable. We must marry wisdom because Jesus tells us the truth about reality. Jesus tells us the truth about reality. Notice as we begin in this passage, if we think back to last week, we talked about the strange woman. Do you remember how the strange woman approaches people? What does she do in chapter 7? Verse 12, if you need to. What does she do? She hides. She sneaks up on people, right? Almost as if she's hiding behind a bush, waiting for the young man to come by. Jumps out and says, hey, here I am. Right? She's secretive. But notice the difference between woman folly, the strange woman, and woman wisdom. It says here in verse chapter 8, it says, does not wisdom call do not un, does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way and the crossroads, she takes her stand beside the gate in front of the town at the entrance of the portals. She cries aloud. Wisdom is very public. She stands in the entryway of the city, right at the crossroads, right inside the gate. Imagine this, you're coming into the city, and right there, as you open the gate, the very first thing you run into is woman wisdom, telling you, make a choice. Follow wisdom or follow foolishness. You have to make a choice before you even come into the city. Wisdom knows that when someone enters the city, that there will be wise people and foolish people in the city. Wisdom then wants people to decide between wisdom and foolishness before they ever make a single decision in this city. She says, she, she cries aloud at the, at the entryway here. Now we want to know, who is she talking to? Who's her audience, right? Who is, she, who is she trying to tell this to? Notice when she starts her speech in verse 4. She says, to you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of men. She is speaking to everyone. This call goes out to everyone. We'll see that the gospel is for everyone. Wisdom makes this call in the street corner publicly, right at the crossroads, saying, make your decision. Jesus stands at the crossroads, the entrance, and says, Make your decision. The call goes out to all people. Specifically, there is a, a specific audience that wisdom has here as well in verse 5. It says, O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. So it is to all people, but specifically she calls for the, the simple and the fool to come forward and to make a decision here. She calls out to everyone, but she also she calls out to the simple, or what we may call the inexperienced and the fools. If you remember, uh, this goes back to like day one of Proverbs, but there's four major people that are talked about in the book of Proverbs. There are wise people, there are foolish people, there are simple people, and there are scoffers. Now the wise person is someone who already has a relationship with wisdom and is walking in that wisdom. 
The foolish person is a person who has already made decisions for foolishness, who has already made foolish decisions. They're already in sin. The simple person is the person who hasn't made their mind up yet. They're kind of wandering around. They're like, am I going to do wisdom or foolishness? It's usually, the young, usually a young person, right? They haven't made too many life choices yet. They ha- don't have a lot of experience. They're still, they could go either way at this point. They're kind of teetering on the edge. They could move, into the, move on to the path of foolishness or they could move on to the path of wisdom. They're kind of teetering on the edge. And the fourth per- type of people that are talked about in the book of Proverbs is the scoffer. This is the person who is a hardened fool. They have no desire to hear wisdom. They are on the path of foolishness and they are so far down the path, they refuse to even listen. They're scoffers. Notice that scoffers are not the object of this particular call. Scoffers aren't mentioned. It's to all people, yes, all people. Scoffers will be included in all people, but specifically Solomon, or the the wisdom does not call out to the scoffers because essentially calling out to the scoffers would end up being a waste of time. They have no desire to follow the Lord. They have no no desire to have anything to do with Jesus. And so wisdom sees that as it's a pointless, it would be be a foolish task to even try to talk to them. And Proverbs will actually talk about that later in the book. So then wisdom tells us what she teaches. She calls out to them and then says in verse 6, Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. Wisdom teaches the truth. Wisdom teaches the truth. She doesn't try to sugarcoat it. She doesn't try to make the truth out to be some, or make something else to, or, or make something false to pretend to be true. Rather, this, uh, she speaks only the truth. This is not only morality. She's not only telling us, here's the good things to do and here's the bad things to do. Rather, she is also telling us the order of the world, and we'll see that as we, as we move through this passage. It's not only morality, she's telling us the truth. The truth is the way that the world actually works. Aiken explains this, uh, explains that this is what the rest of the book is about. Proverbs will tell us that hard work is better than laziness or get-rich-quick schemes. Proverbs will tell us that while it may seem like indulging pleasure will gladden you, it will actually sadden you. Wisdom teaches teaches it like it really is. Folly, on the other hand, tells you what you want to hear, not what you need to hear. Taking a shortcut, uh, foolishness says take a shortcut, indulge pleasure, hoard your possessions, hold a grudge, and so much more. Wisdom says that's not the way the world is supposed to work. Wisdom further distinguishes between wickedness and righteousness. It says, Here for I will speak noble things, from my lips will come what is right, from my, out, from my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. Wisdom will tell us the truth because wisdom knows the difference between righteousness and wickedness and teaches the difference between those two things. Aiken continues, the fool may believe what he says is true. The fool may actually believe that what he says is true, but he cannot see how he misrepresents truth and reality. 
because what he says is just not true. It's so untrue, he thinks it's true, but he can't even tell the difference because he's a fool. The fool can't tell the difference. For example, calling something good that God says is sin. Justifying sin or saying it is not sin is a distortion of reality. Wisdom will call sin what it is. She will help us understand this, and she will produce this kind of truthful speech in you. You can avoid lies, gossip, and slander if you will follow wisdom or Jesus. What wisdom says here is that there is a difference between wickedness and righteousness. I know that difference, and I'm not going to muddle that one. Oh, it's okay. You know, just, it's just a small lie. It's okay. Wisdom won't say that. Fools say that. Folly says that. Oh, it's just a little bit of sin. That's okay. Everybody sins. It's all right. That's foolishness. That's not wisdom. We also see that wisdom is better than worldly wealth. Look at verses 10 and 11. It says, take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold for wisdom is better than jewels and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. Now money can be good, but only if it is not first place in your life. What wisdom says here is that I am better than any of those things, better than silver, better than gold, better than anything you could possibly possess, better than jewels. Ladies, your diamonds, Jesus is better than them. Right? These things that we value, these things that we treasure, the china that we keep in a case, Jesus is better than that. Jesus is better than all those things. Again, these things are not necessarily bad things, but if those things become the first thing in our lives, if those things take the priority in our lives, then they are no longer good things. Jesus will have no rival. He says in Matthew 6, 24, that you cannot serve God and money. If you're in a relationship with Jesus, you must be satisfied with him above all else. I think it was wonderful in our passage, our scripture reading today had a very similar statement to this in, in Matthew chapter 10. Of course, I took the bookmark out. In Matthew chapter 10, he says this. He says, For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Not just material possessions, but also people. If my son is more valuable to me than Jesus, then my son is God in my life. If my parents are more valuable to me than Jesus, then my parents are God of my life. If my wife is more valuable to me than Jesus, then my wife has become God in my life. Jesus will have no rivals. 
not money, not people. We must be satisfied in him above all else. If God was to take my child away, I still must remain satisfied in him. I'm not saying that's easy. I'm saying that's what the gospel is, though. Wisdom will tell us the truth about reality. Secondly, we must marry wisdom because Jesus produces right living in his followers. Look at verses 12 through 16. It says, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. Fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance, and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. I hate, I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight, I have strength. By me, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rules, rule and nobles, all who govern justly. If you want prudence, if you want knowledge, if you want discretion, you have to go to Jesus the ability to make right decisions, the ability to carefully consider a situation without making snap judgments that get us in trouble, and the ability to read people are available through a relationship with Jesus. So what scripture promises. Wisdom teaches you how to navigate life in a way that ruins, that av- in, a, in a way that avoids us ruining things. Wisdom will teach us those things, prudence, knowledge, and discretion. We can only get those through Jesus, truly get those through Jesus. Wisdom also shows us who to associate with and those who who we are to avoid. We are to associate with those who have prudence and knowledge and discretion. And then it says we are to avoid uh, those who are evil. Verse 13, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance, the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. The fear of the Lord, which Proverbs 1 told us is the beginning of wisdom, is to hate evil. Pride, arrogance, and the evil way and perverted speech are all things that the Lord despises. Those who will not humble themselves under authority and counsel are hated by the Lord. God produces counsel, sound wisdom, insight and strength in those who fear him and those who follow Christ. The idea of strength there is not, is, it means that these things, God not only provides these good character traits, these good qualities, but strength he also pro- produces within us the ability to follow through with those things. The, it's the difference between knowing what is right and doing what is right. Knowing and understanding how to go through a situation and having the ability to follow through and do it. That through Jesus Christ, he gives us that follow-through, the ability to actually do it. Now then, Proverbs, or, or wisdom, tells us that it is by her that kings reign. Solomon realizes this. If you remember back in 1, Corinthians, or 1 Kings chapter 3, excuse me, God comes to Solomon and says, What do you want? I will give you anything that you want. And what does Solomon say he wants more than anything else? Wisdom. Solomon understood this. Solomon understood that it is by wisdom that kings reign. That if a king is going to reign his nation properly, he must have wisdom. We also know that Solomon obviously did not maintain that wisdom. 
he got involved in all sorts of sinful behavior and only halfway kind of followed through and ultimately led the people of Israel to disobey the Lord. His son had no desire to follow the wisdom that Solomon had. <clears throat> in Isaiah 11, then, we are shown a better, a better way, a better person, a better king. We are told that the Messiah will reorder the entire creation through wisdom. Jesus is the fulfillment of Isaiah 11. He is the true Solomon. He is the Messiah who patterns his kingdom after wisdom. Those who follow Christ will rule with him. So then we also need this book, do we not? If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, one day we will rule and reign with him. We need to know how to rule and reign with him. We need wisdom. We need that wisdom too. We are in an internship for eternity right now. Third, we see that we must marry wisdom because Jesus rewards his followers. He not only shows his followers how to live, but he also rewards his followers. Look at verse 17. It says, I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness, in the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. Wisdom rewards, or Jesus rewards his followers, so we must have a relationship with Jesus. Look at the beginning of this. It says, I love those who love me. Starting right there. The very beginning of this whole idea is that you must be in a relationship with Jesus. You must be in a personal relationship with Jesus before you can even begin to really obey what is taught in the rest of the book of Proverbs. It starts, the fear of the Lord, worshiping Jesus is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So a relationship with Christ is the beginning of wisdom. The rewards of wisdom are lasting riches, a good name, and righteousness in verse 18. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. Lasting riches, a good name, and righteousness. This is not a prosperity gospel. We've already seen this. Um, it's not a prosperity gospel because of what we've already seen. In a fallen world, we may not receive these rewards immediately. What wisdom produces, wisdom and righteousness, are far better than money, as we've already seen in this passage alone. Physical rewards may come now, but they will surely come in the new creation. Fourth, we see that we must marry wisdom because Jesus brings his followers into harmony with God, others, and the world. So wisdom gives us, Jesus gives, tells us the truth about reality. Jesus produces right living with his followers. He rewards his followers and he will also bring his followers into harmony with God, others, and the world. Now this section here, 22 through 31, is a very rich and complex section. I'm going to do very best I can to break this down uh, without getting uh, too off the beaten path. Ultimately, I think it's, this is actually the best proof that wisdom in the book of Proverbs is in fact Jesus Christ. 
To give a little bit of a history here, this, this Proverbs chapter 8 and verse 22 played a significant role in what we call the Nicene Council. Back in 325 AD, yes, 325, no, there's no 1,000 before that, right? So this is only a couple hundred years after Christ's death and resurrection. In 325 AD, there was a council, a grouping, a group of, of pastors that came together to debate an issue of theology that had come up. And it was all centered around Proverbs 8.22 and how to understand that. There was a guy named Arius that came about, and he, he, he read Proverbs 8.22, and he says, this means that, that the Son of God was created. This means that wisdom was created, and wisdom is Jesus. Therefore, Jesus is a created being. So then this whole debate spread all across the known world at the time. In the, in the church, all the churches in the entire known world were all debating and discussing this particular issue. What do we do with Proverbs 8.22? The word here says, the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work. This word possessed is really interesting. The Hebrew word can mean possessed. It could also mean created. And it could also mean begot, right? It could also mean begot, as in fathered, right? It could also mean fathered at the beginning of his work. Now, Arius came to the conclusion that the best translation of this is to say created. Now, that creates a huge problem. Theologically, that creates a huge problem. If Jesus is a created being, if the Son of God is created, should he be worshipped? Should we worship created things? No. If Jesus is a created being, he should not be worshipped. Therefore, if the church worshipped Jesus, we have a major problem with our theology. If he is merely a created being. There's a major problem in the church's theology if that's the case. Now again, Arius actually also recognized this and he actually, the gospel that he proclaimed was the gospel that said, you need to be a good person like Jesus was and that's how you get salvation. But that has nothing to do with scripture. Scripture does not teach that. Scripture is very clear, the gospel of John especially is very clear that Jesus is the Son of God, the eternal Son of God. This passage in Proverbs will share this exact same truth, that Jesus is the eternal Son of God. Before all of creation, Jesus existed in an eternal relationship with the Father, a relationship that we call the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit eternally existing together. And John, uh, John continues the same idea. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. Right. Made by Him and for Him. Absolutely. If Jesus was the one that was making the stuff, that was creating the stuff along with the Father, then how could He be one that is creator, created? If he is creator, he cannot be created, right? It makes no sense. So this verse becomes really important in the history of ideas as we understand the book of Proverbs. According to even some of the best modern commentators, the best way to understand that is that this passage is that wisdom is begotten. So when we see this word possessed, 
we must not think of this as the idea of created or somehow this was like a possession that belonged to God early on. This is someone who is begotten of the Father, that God the Father fathered the Son eternally. Another one of the proofs that was brought against Arius was if God is called Father, right, he must be Father eternally, right? Otherwise, you have something that changed about God, right? So if God is Father, he must always have had a Son in order for him to eternally be Father, Therefore, the Son must eternally be Son in order for the Father to eternally be Father. See, so much theology rides on what Arius was doing, and it was so destructive to the church. Further, in this passage, this verse is great. I love it. I love this verse alone. I could go the whole sermon just on this verse, but we're going to keep moving forward. It says, He possessed me at the beginning of his work. This is the word Bereshit. The very word that is in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. He says, he, the Lord fathered me, the Lord uh, begot me at the beginning of his work. One of the ways, as, as I've done my research in Genesis, one of the areas of research I've done in, in my, uh, my, uh, my post-grad studies was on how to understand Genesis 1.1. And one of these, one of these particular uh, one, one way, the w- way I think is the best way to understand Genesis 1-1 is this word bereshit, this Hebrew word bereshit that we translate as in the beginning can also mean by means of the one who is the beginning, essentially. By means of the firstborn son. That's a long, complicated argument. I have to save that for another day. But that essentially, what Proverbs 8.22, Proverbs 8.22 is interpreting for us Genesis 1.1 and showing this consistent theme of what's going on in the scriptures that Genesis 1.1, Psalm 33.6 does the same thing. It says, by the word of the Lord were all things created. So when John 1 shows up and says, in the beginning was the word, it's taking this word, Bereshit, In the beginning was the Word. The Word is the one who is the in the beginning guy. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word is with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. It's the same theology we'll see here in Proverbs chapter 8. Colossians 1.15 further does this, uh, talks about this. We'll, We'll look at Colossians 1 here in just a second. Wisdom here is far better than anything else because Jesus predates everything else. Look at the way this passage describes him. Ages ago I was set up at the first, before the beginning of the earth, when there was no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth and its fields or the first of the dust of the world, when he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made the firm, the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep. Where was Jesus at this whole, during this whole process? Right there. Now we have to understand some things as well. Uh, at the first, this passage, it says at the first. Does this mean that there was some pre-creation time when God made wisdom? That's what Arius was trying to say, that before creation, God made wisdom to be this kind of intermediary being, right? Now, we have to understand what this word at the first means. It does not mean as like an order, like chronologically, I was the first thing God ever made. Rather, what this phrase means is that he is head over all things. 
The, way, the best way to understand this particular phrase is to say at the first, in other words, as the head over all things, as the chief, as the one who is over it all, this is, how, this is what took place. Let me uh, clarify this by looking at Colossians chapter 1. I think Colossians chapter 1 actually is actually interpreting this passage here in Proverbs 8. What Paul is doing is showing this is how to understand Proverbs 8. This is really what I believe is going on here. He says here in Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15, He, that is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things. And in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. It means greatest. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Wisdom here is also described as the co-creator with God. Look at chapter, verse 27 following. It says, When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned the sea its limits so that the waters might not transgress its commands, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, there I was beside him like a master workman. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of men. Wow. Verse 30 is a really important verse. This is a highly, highly, highly debated verse. How what to do with this is very difficult. One of the key difficulties for, for, for many scholars is this word workman. The word workman is a, is a masculine noun, Right? Why in the world is a masculine noun being used to describe a feminine noun like wisdom? That makes no sense, so that can't be what it means. That's what scholars say, right? What's the problem with that? Or what's the solution to this? Why is wisdom being described with a masculine noun here? Because it's Jesus, right? It's the Son of God. I think this right here is the proof positive that Proverbs, when it talks about wisdom, though it calls her woman wisdom because it's a feminine noun, that right here, Solomon is at least somewhat aware that this is pointing to someone other than what's in front of us. That it's pointing to Christ. That it's pointing to the Son of God. Because Jesus has delighted in his Father, if you look at these last verses, it says this, it says, I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of men. Because Jesus has delighted in the Father before creation and was actively involved in the creation of the world and humanity, then Jesus is indeed, as 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5 describes, the ultimate mediator between God and man. He is also the ultimate mediator between man and man, and between man and the world. So, if you want to live in harmony with God, with man, and with the world around you, you must be in a relationship with Jesus. Since the Father created the world with his wisdom, 
Jesus, there is an order to the way the world works. Living against that grain will injure you. Adultery will cause you to love much, to lose much of what you have. Unchecked greed will lead to great debt. Laziness will lead to the inability to hold a job and a failure to provide for your family. There is a way that the world works. Sin is not just wrong. Sin is foolish and it is destructive. Even if we can observe how things work, we often fail to apply the knowledge we gain. Isn't that true? We need Jesus. He alone can give us harmony with God, which will lead to harmony in our relationships and safe passage through daily life in the world around us. So we've seen these four things that so far we've seen that Jesus tells us the truth about reality. We've seen that Jesus, he gives, or he, he teaches his followers how to, live, how to live rightly. We've seen that he rewards his followers. We've seen that he tells us how the, the way the world is supposed to work. And fifth, we see that wisdom, we must marry wisdom because Jesus gives abundant and eternal life. Look at verse 32 here. It says, And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Wisdom still speaking here says, Listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Now, how do we understand this blessing? I think looking back to Psalm chapter 1 and 2 is really helpful here. In Psalm chapter 1 and 2, this is a totally different sermon for another day, but it's really helpful for us to understand what's going on here. In Psalm chapter 1, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Right? As we go through Psalm chapter 1, you might ask yourself, am I this blessed person? Right? This passage can also, the blessed is the man can also be translated, oh, the blessed man. So who is this blessed man? He doesn't, he, you know, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, Okay, doesn't stand in the way of sinners, doesn't sit in the seat of the scornful. Okay, maybe we can work with that, right? His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Well, I can tell you right now, I'm out. That's not me, right? Do you meditate on God's law day and night and delight in it day and night? Probably not. Further, it says that everything he does prospers. That's definitely not me. So who is this guy? Psalm chapter 2. Why do the nations rage against the Lord and his anointed? That's the word Christ. Why do the nations rage against the Lord and against his Christ? And it says, and we find out in chapter two that this man that's being talked about here, this blessed man from chapter one is none other than the son of God. It says to you, or it says, it says, you are my son. Today I have begotten you, which is the same language we saw here in chapter, in Proverbs chapter eight. And then at the end of the Psalm, it says, kiss the son, lest you perish in the way or worship the son of God, lest you perish in the way. Blessed are those who trust in him. So where does blessing come from? Blessing comes from a relationship with Jesus. It's blessing that is external to us, right? It is Jesus's blessing. It is his righteousness. It is his goodness that is given to us in a relationship with him. 
Look at this. It says, here now, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Happy are those in a relationship with me. Those who keep my ways are the ones that are in a relationship with me. Hear instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. Following wisdom is the path to blessing and life. Neglecting wisdom is the path to death. Following Jesus is the path to a good life now and an eternal life later. Following folly will injure you now and cause you to perish later. Only Jesus can make a statement like this. Jesus is saying that you must choose. He is saying that choosing him or not choosing him is the difference between life and death. So often we fail to choose to follow Jesus, to choose wisdom in our daily lives. Because of this, this same wisdom of God described in this chapter, the Son of God took on human flesh. He lived in perfect wisdom and obedience to the Father. He submitted himself to a cruel death on a Roman cross. When he did that, he took all of our foolishness on himself. He took upon himself that death that we deserved to die. And then three days later, he victoriously conquered death and came back to life. That is being in um, that is being in a relationship with Jesus. That is what makes being in relationship with Jesus possible and makes all these great things about Jesus possible for us. By trusting in his death and resurrection as, our, as a substitute for your sin, you can have the eternal life promised in Proverbs. You can have the right relationship with God, man, and the world. You can have the eternal rewards which belong to his followers. You can experience the love that he offers to his followers you can finally see the truth about the way the world really works. If you have a problem with living in wisdom, if you constantly fall into the same foolish mistakes, it is because there's a problem with your relationship with Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, that is the biggest problem. We've seen today that Jesus is far greater than anything this world can offer. Trust him today for your salvation. If you want to know more, you can grab me at the front here during this time of invitation that we'll have in a second, or you can grab me after the service, and I'd love to talk to you about how you can know for sure that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you are a believer today and you continue to fall into foolishness, now is the time to restore that relationship. Confess sin and return to the path of wisdom. In your seat or at this altar, these stairs here, use this as a time to do business with the Lord. Perhaps you just need to thank God for the blessing of wisdom in your life. Maybe you've seen this and you say, I've experienced some of that. That's humbling. That's a gift from the Lord. Maybe during this time of invitation, you just need to thank him. However the Lord is, is calling you, respond to him. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this time of invitation that we have, this time that we have to submit ourselves to you. 
to give up ourselves and give it back to you. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you are so valuable. That, Lord, the most attractive thing on this planet, the most attractive thing this world can offer does not measure up to you. You alone are worthy of worship. You alone are worthy of our praise. You alone are the, are the one who we um, must be in a relationship with. God, I pray today that we would, that we would put you first, that we would realize how valuable you are and run to you. Praise in your name. Amen.